Welcome to Stop and Talk, a podcast about connection and building a more vibrant region together through creativity, health, and community. This is your host, Grant Oliphant, the CEO of the Conrad Prebis Foundation. Thanks for joining us. On this episode of Stop and Talk, we welcome Macedonio Ortiaga, Executive Director of ISCALI, a nonprofit organization that has worked with at-risk youth for over 23 years. He has played a number of roles in our San Diego region, including student advocate, training staff, and entire departments of the San Diego Unified School District on culturally relevant instruction strategies, cultural proficiency, restorative practices, and trauma-informed care. He is a very dear friend of mine, and I'm excited to explore cultural perpetuation, healing, and community with him. Let's jump right into the conversation. Macedonia, welcome. Thank you for coming by to stop and talk with me. Thank you. So I want to start off, you and I have a lot of ground to cover. Um, we've you're one of the people I've gotten to know best since I arrived in San Diego. And there are a lot of things I want to talk about. But I want to start with just what's got you excited right now. Maybe three weeks ago, we just finished our our 25th anniversary of, uh, of our gathering. of uh, It's a rites of passage for men in general, whether they're, they're, they're really small or they're older or they're, you know, adolescents or even older men. I'm still kind of on a high from that. Mm. It hasn't worn off the 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 fact that we got to be away for three days and just no cell phones and hearing the the men going through a lot of pain but also a lot of healing at the same exact time. It doesn't wear off in three weeks. So I'm still kind of on a high from that. And the fact that I was in La Paz, Mexico, Mexico, I shouldn't say Mexico. My wife's going to get mad. Why do you say Mexico? Oh, sorry. Um, with my little brother who retired at 49 and he has a boat over there and all I did was swim every day. So it helps you to stay. You got some restoration yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the men's circle and why you do it. Well... And I should, by the way, I should disclose that I had the privilege of being there on the opening night with you uh, at the reservation where you were doing it. And uh, it was an extraordinary opening uh, with group, the group of men gathered around the fire, and they went through a rite of just introducing themselves and talking a little bit about what they hoped to accomplish while they were there. And there were there were a bunch of folks there, but we... Even still, we managed to make that process last until 1.30 in the morning, as I recall. But let's talk about why something like that is important and necessary in today's world. Well, I'll probably cry. This is a good thing. No one's going to see the tears coming down my eyes. But when you think about the, the way our society is structured, whether you're in education or in business, or there's not, real, there's not a real-time for you to reflect and slow down. It's all about just going and going and going and going and going and going. And as a man or as a woman, as anybody in this society, um, 
you know, I think about administrators or teachers and how difficult it is just to slow down, period, when you're at work. It's almost impossible, right? Like teachers been in the same school for 15 years and they don't even know the teacher next door to them or know anything about them. So I almost want to say that happens in a lot of a lot of uh, workplaces in our society today. And um, but for men, it's it's difficult to slow down. You know what they refer to as toxic masculinity is like, oh, we have to work. We have to do this for the family. We have to put the family first. Uh, at least that's how I was raised. Right. The family, the family, the family. But where's that little space for you as a man to reflect and slow down and connect to other men, right? Which might be a whole nother issue, period. So it's so layered and it's so needed. So it was, this is a certain, this is, this isn't something we just started. This has ha been happening for thousands of years here on this continent. And it's, it still happens with the Huichol people, which is the, is the tribe that my wife comes from, where they go on a pilgrimage to, to get peyote for the, for the community. The, the men literally go on this pilgrimage, but on the, before you leave on the pilgrimage, you have to have this ceremony with the men that you're going on the pilgrimage with, because as weird as it sounds, but the peyotes like are relative, right? So when you're going to go and, and bring that relative back to the community, you as a man need to be, I don't even know what the right word is, not as clean as possible or pure. It's kind of those those weird words that I, I don't like to use, but you just have to be conscious of yourself. So right. That's probably right. a better way to put it. Well, let's spend a minute there because I think it's important that we um, take a, a side path for a moment to talk about your background and how you came to do this work. And then we're going to come back to the work itself and the circle. But you have a very interesting background. You mentioned your wife and the tribe that she comes from, but tell us about yourself. So I was actually born in Michoacan, Mexico. I'm a descendant of what is referred to as the Purepecha tribe. That I also have African blood from my father on my father's side and um, Purepecha blood on both sides of my family. I migrated over here when I was five years old mm -hmm. to the United States. So for many years, I'd go back and forth, right? Um, just like the like the town where I'm from in Michoacan, the the butterflies migrate there from Canada, right? Right. And right. we're no different than the butterflies. We just migrate like they do for mm -hmm. thousands of years. So to us, migrating these migrations is not something that's new. We just happen to be humans doing it instead of butterflies doing it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. I think I answered your question. That's just yeah. a little bit about well. Well, yeah. and I think, and um, actually, what I what I hadn't thought about. It's powerful, by the way, is the notion of human migration and and how there's a whole history that is that predates the borders that we've set in place and the walls that we've built and patterns that we've disrupted. So, subject of another podcast. Yeah. But a an interesting aspect of the history that you carry in you. Uh, you and I have had some funny conversations actually about the way philanthropy talks about things. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about creative youth development, which is the intersection of creativity and working with youth on 
integrating a sense of expression, voice, and purpose into how they think about themselves in the world. And your, your comment to me was, we've been doing that for thousands of years. We just never thought to call it creative youth development before. Uh, similarly with trauma healing, yes, and this brings us back to the circle uh, that we opened with, the the you you've you've talked about how these are ancient practices that are being made new again by the failures that we're seeing in our current systems to figure out how to deal with trauma and mental health and mm. healing around that circle at the recent anniversary convening that you had were if i recall correctly there were lawyers there there were um, people in in high profile jobs. There were former gang members. Mm -hmm. There were people still struggling with addiction. There were people still struggling with um, with with uh, issues around their own criminal justice records and their lives. And every story was present and welcome around that circle. Why is that powerful, and why has that practice persisted for thousands of years, and why is it becoming relevant for us again? You know, I was thinking about uh, something a young man told me once, and, and he was like in ninth grade, and he blew my mind away. We were sitting in a circle, and he says, this is a collective sermon. And I was like, dang, that's deep, dude. I never I never thought about yeah. that. A ninth grader, right? Yeah. Just blew my mind away because I never thought about it that way I, I guess for for a larger audience to understand it right when we go to you know people go to church and they listen to one person right um whether it's a male or a female that's up there and he's reading something and that's the sermon for mm. the for the mm -hmm. day right for mm -hmm. the hour well we don't have that it's a collective it's a collective of men expressing themselves and it's not a time for me to say, oh, Grant, well, let me talk to you about your issues. It's not that I'm not there to solve your issues, right? The, the circle, the energy that flows in there, will, will it's going to guide you. It's going to help you without me. I'm not the know-it-all. There is We have elders there, but they don't know it all, and they know that. Mm. So they allow the energy of the whole circle of the collective to start doing the healing. And if you step away... <laughs> You can actually see the energy as it moves through the men, right? You can literally see it, and it's real, and you don't need another human to guide it. But what you do need is the collective, and you do need nature. When you were talking about, Grant, you said it so perfectly. It's like that first night we introduced ourselves, and it's not just introducing ourselves to each other. We're also introducing ourselves to all the elements that are there, the fire, the rocks, and I know sometimes I even hear myself, you know, I'm college educated and I still, I've still been colonized. So I still see the world. So I struggle because, you know, these two worlds are constantly like fighting in front right, of me. Right. But we're introducing ourselves to all the elements, the owls that are there, the coyotes that were there, the, the family of, of, of deer that, that welcomed us at the beginning, the turkeys that walked around. In the morning, they walked around when we closed the ceremony. They walked around when we opened the ceremony. There's many, many words in different native languages, which means all my relations, mm. right? So that night, we are connecting ourselves to all of our relations. That's where the healing starts, 
right? When you could feel that connection to all the elements, to everybody, to everything around you. And it's just not one person trying to solve everything and tell you how to do things. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because, well, there's so much in that, but you caught yourself for a moment and felt like you almost had to apologize for what you were saying yeah. in the context of the culture in which we swim, which doesn't allow much room for that sort of connectivity mm-hmm. and, and frankly, magic. Uh, and I, I really appreciate the honesty of that, by, by the way, that you would struggle with that out loud. But I know that a big part of your work has become thinking about how you perpetuate culture in the context of a dominant culture that belittles your traditions or dismisses your traditions or makes them irrelevant. How are you thinking about that now? Well, I, you, know, you know that I was diagnosed with cancer um, in March. And, you know, I had a, a, a fun little 13-centimeter tumor removed from above my hip. And, and um, as I sat there laying in that, that table before they did surgery on me, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, people die from surgeries all the time. It could be a simple surgery. Now they're cutting you open to get this cancer out. pretty right. big tumor out. You know, and I know because it happened with my mom. They like, cut her open. And they're like, oh, no, now it's going to spread through her body. I mean, she died the same age as me of cancer. Mm. So you got to imagine all the stuff going through your head. You're like, you're not fighting like monsters anymore. You're fighting like psh, every everything, right. <laughs> everything. Right. Right. And, um, you know, as I was laying there, I was thinking, man, what's what's going to happen if I don't make it through here? Like, mm-hmm. is this going to continue, right? Uh, or the way the what we've int- we've reintroduced and and all the young the, the the little the boys that grew up in this the young men that started in seventh grade and they're still part of the circle and they're in their you know early forties. Um, what's going to happen? And that's when it kind of hit me that whatever's out there in the universe, I don't know what people want to call it, whatever you want to call it had given me all the tools to do what I needed to do. And if, if it was my time, it was my time and that everything was going to continue because it's always been a circle. Yeah. I'm the charismatic, good looking, funny guy. We, we all know that. We know that. This is, this is a podcast. Yeah, Remember this is that. A podcast. Nobody can see me. Right. Well, they're missing out, but, um, that was a joke by the way, folks. Um, so no, you, you, you realize that, that the work that's been done, it's going to continue. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue. We're on Kumeyaay land. We're on a reservation. We've collaborated with that reservation for many years. And the first thing they said when I was sick, they're like, Masa, it doesn't matter what happens to you. We know you're going to be fine, but we still want this to continue on our land right here on this reservation. You know, um, So you've planted some seeds, and now the trees are growing. The trees are giving you fruit already. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And, you know, trees, like, you get to a certain point, really don't have to water them anymore. Right. right. Because they've already rooted themselves. And you give them a little bit of water, and they're going to give you fruit every year. So I feel we're there. It feels good to say that. I feel a little relieved that, yeah, we're there. So from the perspective of San Diego, which 
sits on Kumeyaay land and is at the intersection of of nations mm-hmm. uh, and has this culture that is vibrant and alive with that. Why is your notion of perpetuating culture important to the rest of San Diego? Why should people in the in the quote unquote dominant culture care about elevating this and celebrating it as part of who we are? I think it's looking at the benefits of um, something just came to mind right now. There's Oaxaca. I don't know if you've ever been to Oaxaca in Mexico. There's a lot of Zapotec and Mixteco indigenous people, and they still have their traditional food, not, not food that was brought over here by Europeans. I'm talking like traditional, traditional, no chicken, no pork. And you eat this food and you're like, oh my God, where has this food been all my life, right? And and it's just, it's not what you think of when you think of Mexican food. It transcends Mexican food because it's real traditional. So my point is, I can't imagine the world not having that food, mm. right? And what it does when it goes in your mouth and the health benefits. And so I'm trying to connect that to to culture, right? Just in San Diego, because this is part of a national movement. It's not just us in San We have the largest circle in in the national movement. We are the largest, but... If you think about the the wonderful flavors that our group has created and, you know, why would you not want something like this to grow, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, just this last week I talked to this young man and I won't say any names, but because of COVID, there was a lot of violence in our communities, a lot of violence, because now you're talking about young people who really aren't in school. They're just running the streets. Their parents are trying to survive. Some of their parents are dying. Some of their parents are being deported, right? They're in our neighborhoods and and they don't have the ability to just grab a surfboard and go surf to the beach. You know, they don't know what that is. So they get into violence, they get into problems and the the, the violence rate uh, increased. You know, one of the two guys at that gathering, I didn't tell you this story, one of, they were rival gang members. Mm, I didn't just, know that. They had yeah. just killed his nephew right they just killed his nephew and i mean he's he's part of my family too right and um and uh they just killed him and here's two rival gang members like sitting in a circle together i mean one the guy knew that it wasn't him that killed him but he also knew he was part of that gang. he was part of that gang wow and he came up to me he goes my goes i've had to keep telling myself it's not him it's not him he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And he goes, the crazy thing, bro, is that I ended up being in the sweat lodge right next to him in the ceremony. So the sweat lodge, for, for those of you that are just really quick, it's only like 20, 25 guys fit in there at the most. It's it about 200 degrees in there, and you can barely see your hand because it's pitch dark. They bring these hot rocks in there, and we sing our traditional songs, and, and it's continue healing. So he sat right next, next to him. him. Out of all these men, we had four sweat lodges, right? They're all going to different places. And he's like, oh, I want to make sure I don't sweat with that fool, right? <laughs> you know? And what happens? He goes, I didn't even see him come in. Wow. He sat right next to me. And he 
came out. We all have to shake hands. We all have to hug afterwards, right? He did, and he's like, I let it go. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't him. Wow. You know, and, and um, so why wouldn't our society want more of those flavors that, that are being created there, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. We're not there. We're not trying to overthrow, you know, the government or anything. We're just trying to heal, man. Yeah. We just, that's it. Period. Well, and this is, I, I want to connect this to a part of your work that you don't talk a lot about, but a big part of who you've been over the last few decades is, in a sense, an educator working in the public school system on alternative methods of healing trauma. Yes. And I know you feel that that work is deeply taxing, uh, but you approach this from your cultural perspective, that, that work from your cultural perspective. And what did you learn from working inside a big bureaucracy in the traditional system about bringing that perspective to the work you did with young people? So, so the, to give it language, that several years ago they came up with something called restorative practice. Right. They introduced it into our district. And essentially that is literally what I just described in terms of what we do in ceremony, right? So now we had to do this in a mainstream school in the sixth largest district in the United States, which is San Diego Unified, right? And the resistance. So the resistance from administrators, from teachers, from the community. Why? Because we didn't want to, our goal was not to suspend young people. It was The goal was to love young people. Mm -hmm. And by no means, and I'm saying it's the teachers or the, or the administrator's fault. We're talking about human beings, adults that are already in a in an incredibly oppressive system. And now they're being asked to be forgiving and loving, which you would think like as an educator, you kind of already have that. But it's not it's not it's not the humans, it's the system. Mm. It's like you're in a system where you're getting punched in the face every day, you know. Um, not literally, right, figuratively, and then they're saying, oh, be forgiving, be forgiving, be forgiving, when the administrator doesn't even have time to really have a real conversation with the teacher. A teacher doesn't even have real time to even talk to the next teacher, right? Mm. But if a kid gets a little crazy with you, you, you need to learn to be forgiving and build relationships with them. I get it, and it's not an attack on any human being. Because human beings are only going to function according to the systems that they're operating from, period. Right? If they can't be outside of it, it's impossible. Right. I'm, I'm outside of it, but I'm inside of it. But I'm outside of it. Right? <laughs> so that gives me the ability to see from the outside what's happening inside. Mm. So when we started this work, um, it, it, it's I'm not going to lie, it has been difficult. But then we've had a lot of success in healing young people, at teaching other adults to see other adults differently. I'll, I'll give you a quick, super quick story. I had this young woman um, who just, just sent me a message not that long ago. Um, she wanted me to go to her graduation at like one hour before the graduation. I was like, oh, a little too close, <laughs> you know. But so, the, so this young girl, me and my coworker, JC, every time we went out to lunch, 
we'd go to lunch after the students went to lunch and we'd go out in the community and we did it on purpose too. It was part of my job just to kind of roll around community in the Southeast. And I would notice these two girls and I was like, these girls are ditching every time we've come out here, we've seen them. Right. Um, so I said, I'm going to see if I could find who this, who these girls are. And, and I happened to see them, uh, the following week, second period, I see them walking. I say, hey, what's up, girl? I'm not sure. I say, hey, come here. I want to talk to you. Anyway, talk to them. I said, you know, I've noticed that you're never in your your fourth period or your fifth period. And, you know, we start talking. And um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to call your parents because I look at their records. They're missing school, this, this, and that. Long story short, I, I get to know them. I find out all their trauma, all their pain, everything going on in their lives. And I said, okay, this one time, I'm not going to call your parents. Me and you are going to work together. I'm going to start going to all of your classes every day from now on until you get, no, you won't, fool. You won't do that, fool. Oh, yes, I am, right? So <laughs> that's just the way kids talk. And again, I don't mind if they call me that. It has nothing to do with me, hmm. right? Now, this is this is lesson number one. The moment you start abusing your power as an adult, you've already lost hmm. the child, the student that you know because they, i don't have to correct them there's no reason for me to correct them that that just that doesn't make any sense to me they're not going to change because macedonia is correcting them who the hell is he right 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 so all right, all right we start talking da, 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 da. you start coming to school i won't call your parent this time we, we cut a deal right well next day rolls around third period they call me mr Chuck, can you come up here young girl's getting high in front of the class. Oh, my God. Right? I'm like, what? So they bring her down to me. She's like, I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, you told me to come to school. I said, I know I told you to come to school. We made a deal. I said, but I didn't say get high in school. And she looks at me. She's like, I'm not high, fool. You're high. And I just I just started laughing. And I was like, all right. You're going to stay with me for two days. Every period, you're going to come here. and Look at your homework. We're going to get to know each other. There's, she She kept her word. Two days, right? Doing helping her with her homework and she's starting to understand. Oh, I get this now, fool. She's starting to actually like it. For two days, she spends two days with me. And um the last day, the three days, I'm sorry. The third day, she leaves and she she starts making up a lot of her work, right? And she's walking out the door. I said, Hey, I said, uh, how do you feel that we didn't suspend you? And she looked at me and she says, you care, fool. Those were her words. Mm. She said, you care, fool. That's powerful. Right? And, I mean, I, I do trainings not just with their district, but, you know, other agencies I train them. And I always tell them that story. And I've, I've even, I even had a one uh, a charter school. They made a T-shirt. It you says, care, you fool. care, fool. <laughs> right? But what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? Like, I said, well, what would happen if, if it would have would have suspended you and she just looked at me and she's like that means you fucking don't care and i was like really but you're the one that got high right mm-hmm. i was just kind of right right and she's like no no that's all she said was no no and i've asked so many kids yeah. to say i do it on purpose and then i that's when i teach i sit down with the adults and say look i built something with her now if I continue to destroy something with her, not only is it going to destroy your classroom, but it's going to destroy your relationship with her. She'll never come back here again. We'll lose her. Mm-hmm. We'll lose her to the streets. 
So that's just one example, which is very difficult again for a lot of adults to do. Why? Because for so many years, all of us, all three of us right here in this room were socialized and taught that suspension is what works. Yeah, yeah. Got to suspend them. Got to suspend them. Well, just just her phrase, which, you know, under different circumstances, you wouldn't think of as praise, uh, you care fool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, most of us would be upset and offended and, you know. <laughs> I remember when I went to school, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but um, powerful in the circumstances that you're describing. You mentioned Southeast San Diego, and a lot of your work has been done in that neighborhood or set of neighborhoods. And I, I just want to touch on that for a moment, too. And I think what I want to raise, Macedonio, is um, as we've talked about your work there, you've talked about the role of indigenous wisdom, obviously, but also the role of, uh, of de- doing this trauma work, mm-hmm. uh, the role of giving young people voice, the role of art and expression. All of that has been part of your practice. How has that come together in, in, in Southeast, and why has it been important in those neighborhoods? So a lot of those young people, um, and it's not a stereotype, it's a reality because we know data and or data, data, however you say it, um, shows us that um, there's a lot of trauma in those neighborhoods, right? There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of issues that you're not going to see in, in other schools that have privilege, um, the privilege of having two parents, the privilege of having money and all that fun stuff, right? You're talking about kids that... It always blows me away. This will give you a really good example. So these kids come from a home where their breakfast starts as cereal, which is sugar, right? And they come to school loaded with sugar. That's if they have cereal that morning. And some of them have been sleeping in the living room. They don't have their own bedroom. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just talking about these like almost like third world conditions that these young people are coming to school with, but we have these certain expectations of them that they have to function at a certain level when they're not, they're not giving that opportunity, which is extremely difficult to function at that level. Right? So one thing that we've done with the arts is um, have them tell their story, right? Tell their story through theater, through writing, and it sounds crazy, right? It sounds so crazy. Like, well, everybody does that. Well, it's not true. Not everybody does that because what happens is if they do theater, the the schools that do have theater departments, they're going to perform a classic, right? But until maybe four years ago, it was something written by a white male, right? They were just perpetuating the same thing. Mm. And who was being casted on it? We kind of know who was being casted in it. And it wasn't the black and brown children. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we do is we go and work with the teacher and um, start teaching the young people how to write just their own story, period. But now we also, we also have to work with the teacher to make sure that the young people are being allowed to express themselves exactly how they want to express themselves, 
right? It's like, oh, I want you to write Grant, but don't write this, Grant. No, 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 Grant, don't write that. Mm. Don't do that. I mean, just me doing this to you, how do you feel right, right now? Yeah, trapped. Yeah. yeah. You're like, well, I get the- right. <laughs> shit with you then, dude. We're cutting you. We're turning off your mic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It. It. So. So, young people have the opportunity to actually write from their genuine perspective. It takes a while, though. It takes a while. Yeah. And when the, once they start writing, everybody can write because everybody can talk. So you just write what you say. Everybody's a storyteller. Everybody's a storyteller. Once they. They feel that comfort. It takes a while. I'm not going to lie. It does take a while. And there's a lot of restorative things that have to happen for them to get to tell their stories. But it gets to the point where they perform in front of the school, in front of the audience, in front of the community. And they're telling their stories in a creative way. Some may do it just through a rap. Some might do it through a little video they make or a little TikTok thing. And But they all have a story. I know that sounds real simple. It's just, it's it just actually like, doesn't sound, well, simple or not, I think people underestimate the power of that when it comes to each of us feeling the need to be able to express ourselves. And there's a lot of research on why that's important. Uh, and a lot of creativity comes from these places of pain that you're describing. What's the, what's the most powerful example of that that you've seen? Well, with theater, I've I've seen so many, right? I mean, there's so many, but I think when, when I think any human being, it doesn't matter who you are or what religion or what faith or um, when you hear other humans' stories, we can all relate to them somehow, mm-hmm. some way. It's just it's just human nature. Whether you're a millionaire and you're a millionaire, they go through the same issues that that we do if you're not a millionaire they're still human they still feel pain they still feel sorrow they still feel this but i think i mean there's so many stories but what i think has been exciting is uh like right there by by hoover um the city heights that city heights area which is right next to southeast right um it's one of the diverse most diverse places in the united states right over 60 something languages are spoken mm-hmm. right there in hoover hoover maybe even more we went in there and we had young people. They didn't know they were going to be acting on stage. They didn't know. We just we just went and worked with the, the English class there for a whole year. I, I majored in ethnic studies from UCSD, but I tell people that the best ethnic studies course I ever took was in that community. Hmm. And I didn't teach it. I helped facilitate it, which is a big difference. Right. Because zero wisdom came from me there. Right. I may have trained like the teaching artists on how to help these young people do this, too. but the stories came from them. They facilitated the best ethnic studies course ever. It, and it was so diverse. You heard about the Vietnamese. Uh, yeah, this is a young woman told the story that her father fought against the U.S. government. And the story she told was just like, wow, like educated all of us on it. Right. And his perspective and why he was resisting the U.S., like when are you gonna hear that from a young person? That's that's yeah. power right there. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that she got to express it and teach the whole community that story, right? Like there's Latinos in the audience and there's African Americans in there, and they didn't know anything about that. That's just one of the stories 
of like all these young people and they they perform them they they you know they they get props we collaborate that one we collaborated with the San Diego Opera mm. and and uh it was just even that night when uh when the audience showed up the principal came up to me and he goes hey master he goes how'd you guys do this I said what he goes how'd you get so many people here we've never had this many people for a performance and I said well let me ask you a question why haven't you and he said, well, we send out flyers and emails. I said, okay, that's exactly why you don't get them. <laughs> I said, you know what we did? I called every single parent. I called them by phone. And if they didn't answer, we wrote down, didn't answer, let's call them back. We called every parent by phone. Some of them didn't have the phone. We went to the, their doors and knocked on the door. Hey, you know, your son's going to be performing. And they're like, well, my son didn't tell me. Well, I know, because that's how high school kids are. Right. Come on. So That's, you got everybody to show up that way. Amazing. Why? Because we know the community. Yeah. Right? Who's going to read a flyer? Who's going to read an email? It's in our neighborhood. It's like, come on, dude. That's like 2% of our population that's going to open up an email. <laughs> <laughs> right? It sounds well, like... Well, it's every neighborhood these yeah, days. Well, yeah, it's, probably. It's a, yeah. Increasingly so. <laughs> you know, Macedonia, one of the things that we haven't we haven't touched on much, um, and it's... It's just part of your personality that comes out uh, as someone gets to know you. But you're you're also um, a prankster and a jokester, and you know to use the language you and I have talked about from your tradition, coyote lives in you. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, and you and you employ comedy all the time in your work. Why is comedy important? So what, when when I was growing up, I would ask our elders, how come the the people that run our ceremonies are always funny, right? I would always wonder that. I was like, why are the people that run our ceremonies, our healing ceremonies, always funny? And they said, well, because they have to balance the energy. Mm. And I was like, I never thought, well, I, I'm learning, right? I never thought about it. They said, yes. So they're facilitating all this trauma and pain, so they have to learn to balance it. And what happens when you laugh? I mean... I don't know if they've done studies, but I could tell you right now, your major organs love to laugh. Mm -hmm. You could feel them. And laughing is, it's healing, man. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, I always tell people, look, I guarantee you, if you're going to spend an hour with me, you're going to laugh most of it. Right? Because I'm stupid. I just say stupid <laughs> all the time right you've um, been on your best behavior yeah, yeah, yeah this, i've been really for, good for here. this yeah for this show yeah but even like i mean honestly i being a human is it's a funny thing how how, how can we take ourselves seriously as a species we haven't been here that long right we claim to have all this wisdom all this knowledge Dude, I don't even know how much longer we're going to be here. All this wisdom and knowledge, we're destroying ourselves, our ability to be here on this planet. Mm. How could you not laugh at that, right? right. It's right. comedy. We we humans are the funniest little creatures. Bears probably, I know bears look at us and they go, man, those people are stupid, <laughs> right? They do. The coyote yeah. does. He's like, hey, I wrote, I just wrote, I just read something I wrote the other day when I was, I was out on an island over there in Baja and, um, I was, I was going to the middle of nowhere. I was on the island with two other guys, with three other guys. We went on this road trip and um, to get away. And right, we're on this island. There's just nobody there but us. And I'm sitting there going to the bathroom, and this coyote comes up, and I couldn't move because he's right in front of me. <laughs> so I had to just wait and and just stare at him. And whether people want to believe it or not, 
these animals talk, right? We started having the, a little conversation, and then he started laughing. And I, said, why, I asked him why he was laughing at me. And he said, we're going to be here when you're long gone. And I just kind of looked at him and I said, you're right, fool. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> and he left. Right? Yeah. yeah. They know they know more than we do. But we think we're like the superior mm. like, you know, race or whatever the hell we think we are. The, the, oh. But it's comedy. It's really funny. The the men the, we we used to have like we just mess around with, like if it was your first year at the gathering, we'd check your permission slip from your from your wife or your significant other or your partner. You know, we'd see if you had a signed permission slip, and we'd even check to see if it was forged or something. You know what I mean? Or, just to mess around. But I I I got the humor from my father who always taught me to laugh mm. all the time. And my father just passed away in September. And um, the last thing he said to me as a human, I've talked to him twice since he's crossed over to the spirit world, just quick little conversation, super quick, but he was still alive. We pretty much knew he wasn't going to make it um, to the night for the night. Um, we knew it was happening to him physically and, and, um, you know, I start. I was there by myself, and I was walking out of the hospital. And he and he goes, "Hijo," he goes, "Son." I turn around. I said, "Qué papi?" I said, "What, Dad?" And he goes, "Bañate, cabrón." It means take a shower, you little effer. You know, <laughs> those, those are, were his last words. Those were dude. my dad's last words in person to me. Hysterical. Yeah, and and I turn around. I looked at him. And I said, "I'll think about it, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> Like, so, I mean, he knew yeah. he was going to cross over too, yeah. right? And so he went out laughing. He wasn't going to, my dad was not going to go out any other way. Yeah. And I'm the same way. If I have an opportunity, I'm going to go out laughing because it's, it's been a fun ride, man. And, and why take yourself so seriously, man? We're only here for a little bit, period. I don't care who you are. We're here for yeah. a little bit like that. You know it. You had a child, all of a sudden your kid's off to college. Like, what the hell happened? Right. I was changing right. his diaper yesterday. Yeah. Right? That is absolutely the truth. The greatest illusion in the world is time, man. That we have yeah. a lot of it. Yeah. I don't want to get too philosophical, but yeah. Well, we've done that. We've done, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've done that already. Yeah. So uh, I think it's probably time for us to wrap this yeah, up. Speaking but, of time, that but, was uh, well done. But this is, uh, this is... <laughs> This is great, Macedonio. I, um, as always, I love talking with you. And I, I guess before we stop, I do want to ask if there's any, is there anything you wish, you know, this, this podcast is for people who care about San Diego, who care about philanthropy, who care about changing our society. Who knows who will be listening, but what do you want them to know? I would love for different sectors of our society to make time to genuinely help people heal. You know, to slow down that rat race. Um, every human wants to be heard. Every human wants to be seen. Every human wants that, that uh, to feel like they belong. Um, it's the most basic human need. I always tell people the most basic human need. My niece is pregnant right now. She's going to have a baby any day now. 
and the baby's already kicking her, right? And she's already acknowledging the baby. Mm. There's already acknowledgement happening before the baby's even born. Mm. Her little hands or my great niece's little hands or the father's little hands. There's already that acknowledgement, right? The baby's already being seen. We've lost that. We've lost that. We're just running around. I don't know what we're I don't know what we're doing in our what we're trying to do in our society. If we're not doing that, we're not living at the core of what it is to be a human being. We're just chasing money mm-hmm. to make more money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that idea of that image, first of all, of acknowledgement that begins before we're born and how much we need that in an ongoing way that touch and connectivity. What you've shared with us is about storytelling and mm-hmm. opening up to that world of connection. Uh, I just really appreciate you coming by and, and talking about all of this with me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not really sure where to begin to sum up this conversation. With Macedonia, we touched on so many different things about how we treat our young people, how we can help them find their way in an increasingly dislocating society, simply through telling their stories and getting back in contact with who they deeply really are, how we can think differently about healing trauma at a time when Mental health needs across the country and indeed across the world seem to be shooting off the charts by reconnecting as human beings. I think his plaintive plea at the end for us to reconnect, to take the time to get out of the rat race and simply to talk to each other and to find common ground there uh, in that space that we all share was extremely powerful the way in which he shared the story with us about the young man at the men's circle who discovered another man in the circle who belonged to a rival gang that had killed someone dear to him and then found himself sitting next to that person in the sweat lodge speaks to how often life throws us into circumstances where we're confronted with things that we cannot stand and don't like and have the opportunity to heal through our proximity and through our caring and through, again, finding common ground. His ability to talk uh, fluidly about the role of magic in modern life at a time when our culture is so resistant to concepts that are not scientific I think is also powerful because it connects us all with the things we don't know and the role ultimately that that plays in helping us learn about each other. Similarly, his the way he talked about humor and comedy and our need to be able to laugh at ourselves so that we can not take ourselves so seriously and maybe be a little more humble with each other as we seek to figure out all this crazy mess that we find ourselves navigating in the world. I think most powerful of all was simply Macedonio's notion of the healer inside of us, that we all want to be healed and that we all have the capacity to heal. 
And I think if there's anything you take away from this particular podcast, I hope it is that, that you have a right to be healed and you have the power to heal everyone around you. Thanks for listening. Join us next time and please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. Stop and Talk is a project of the Conrad Prebis Foundation. It is produced by Crystal Page and Adam Greenfield. It is engineered by Adam Greenfield and recorded in the Voice of San Diego Studios. Thanks again.